welcome, listeners, to the fifth episode of Measured Direction. I am Jason Rose, a content strategist here at Digital Surgeons. I'm joined, as always, by Tom Miller, the leader of our analytics practice. What's up, Tom? Hey, how's it going? As always, this podcast is an audience-driven podcast, so we answer the questions that you listeners submit to bit.ly slash Measured Direction. Once again, that's bit.ly slash Measured Direction or using the hashtag Measured Direction. So today's question wanted you to elaborate on a recent article that you just posted, Tom, about winning IoT and how it's not about the analytics of things, but instead about the analytics of customers. Yeah, well, thank you. And, you know, thanks for uh, to our listeners for continuing to submit questions. We're starting to get to a point where we're going to start uh, setting up individual shows around individual topics, which is pretty cool. So thank you for that. And I picked this question out of the pile this week just because, you know, I did fairly recently publish the article. I mean, by the time this comes out, it's going to be like three weeks prior. But uh, I wrote an article about the Internet of Things and the quote-unquote analytics of things. Since somebody requested that we get into the topic a little bit more, I think that's a great topic for today's conversation. So... Let's have it. Yeah, let's just start really high level and just talk about fundamentally what the Internet of Things is and you know, kind of how marketers are leveraging it or moving in that direction. Sure. Well, it's a product set, right? So, you know, my article focuses on the consumer Internet of Things, but really what the Internet of Things in general is, and I think this is sort of a, a different definition based on who you talk to, but it's Internet-connected devices, right? It's devices that are taking inputs from their local environment and in some way either processing them locally and doing something with that or uh, processing them in a cloud-based environment, sending data to the cloud and then getting data back. That could be in a case of like a remote control, right? So my car, I have an app on my phone and I can start my car with my phone. Is that Internet of Things? I mean... Possibly. I would say so. Yeah, and and my app and my phone, I could actually open up my app right now and I could tell how hot it is in my car, right? So that's that's a little bit more of a two-way, right, Uh, uh, communication movement, right? It's, It's, there are sensors in my car that are telling me like where my car is and how hot it is in my car and things like that. And then I can also send back to it, I can say start up. And then it continues to track, right? And, you know, that's pretty interesting. And, and you know, I think this has all come about because of, and I mentioned this in the article, it comes about of, of there's this really great convergence of technology that's occurred in the last, you know, really the last 25 years, but really the last 10 years that has made these sensors, these small processors, you know, there's been a whole lot of standardization of code to be able to run these processes. There's been a major, major decrease in cloud infrastructure cost, um, which we're going to talk to, I think, in the second half of this conversation. Um, you know, batteries, memory, all this stuff has has combined to create a technology environment where these types of devices can exist, right? And you know, if you think about it, there's also lots of other really useful things really useful applications for internet connected devices that extend way beyond consumer devices, right? You think about like roads and infrastructure, right? It's like the whole concept of driverless cars is 
certainly an internet, an internet connected device, an internet of things type of problem or type of solution, but even just understanding road surface temperatures for a state agency that's in charge of cleaning the roads of snow, right? Understanding, you know, even traffic flows and understanding that if traffic all of a sudden gets backed up in a spot where it doesn't normally get backed up, that there's probably an accident that's occurred on your highway there, right? And, you know, it extends way beyond public sector stuff. I mean, you know, you think about healthcare and you could have pacemaker monitoring that is phoning home, right? Uh, things like that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a, an interesting, quote unquote, new world when it comes to these devices. But on the consumer side, I think probably one of the keystone technologies is certainly smartphone adoption, right? Because pretty much every Internet of Things device that I can think of, even though it probably could be controlled through a traditional web interface, most of them are controlled through an app or even an app protocol that is sort of phone or mobile device based, right? So you think about Apple's HomeKit, you know, Apple wrote an entire protocol for integrating connected devices to their platform because they understand that controlling that platform is going to control their market share with those devices, right? They need to have the device manufacturers working with Apple because that's a major differentiator for them when it comes to selling their devices, right? Absolutely. To position themselves as the central hub, otherwise someone else is going to and people will stop maybe moving from an Apple device to say Android's ahead of them, and now the Android device is the center of your home, of your car, of the entire connected world that you kind of create around yourself. Right. So, I mean, what do you think? Um, you know, I, I'm extremely bearish. Nope, that's the wrong word. <laughs> bullish? <laughs> I'm extremely bullish on the future. I would um, say I am too. IoT. I mean, I, I, I think it is, I think it's very interesting. I, you know, I'm not like... I, I, I don't necessarily completely believe the hype because I'm not, you know, I, I think we, we've sort of already evolved a lot of the way into the IoT world, even though the devices themselves haven't really caught up with us. You know what I mean? I think the cultural shift maybe has already happened in a lot of ways, but I also think that there's some fundamental things that will change with, with us and our thinking as we shift into this world. It, you know, there'll, there'll be one or two sort of major changes to human behavior that occur as a result of these devices in the next 25 years. And I think, you know, that, that's going to be a pretty big shift. And I think obviously driverless cars is probably one of the big ones. Yeah. How, how far do you think we out at, are out from driverless cars? You don't know. want to make it's a ter- prediction. It terrifies me. I'm terrified of that. I, I mean, for me, I'm, I think I'll be an old man. Yeah. An older man. When, by the time, uh, <laughs> by the time we're in driverless cars, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, but the point of my article, it, just to get get into it, and that's I think that's a pretty good background, is that there's been a lot in the press um, referring to what's called the analytics of things. And um, Thomas Davenport, who's an author, you know, he's like he's like the professor in business school where everybody wants to take his class and nobody can get into it, right? Because everybody wants to take that class. You know, I would say that he's one of the most brilliant minds in business analytics today. And he coined this term, the analytics of things, that refers to how the things themselves can have 
what I would call logic baked into them, right? And that, that logic can be upgradable over time to basically have a response based on a, a stimulus, a sensor stimulus or, or an external stimulus. And the, that's basically half of the definition. So the analytics, right, I'm, I'm putting that in air quotes, which doesn't really work for a podcast, but the analytics is happening based on the programming of the device and the sensors, right? And I, I don't think that that's analytics. I think that that is... Just um, data collection? No, I mean, it's just, it's, it's the, the device function. It's the product feature, right? It's, it's just like I push a button on my microwave and the microwave turns on. That's, that's it. I mean, I have an oven in my house that I can put a piece of steak in and I can say, there's a steak in the oven and the oven knows that based on its sensor data, how long to cook that steak for, right? And that's a pretty nice piece of kitchen technology, but that's not that crazy, right? I mean, that's just something that's baked into my oven. I mean, it's the same with my refrigerator. Like my refrigerator has a thermostat in it that turns it on when it gets below a certain, or gets above a certain temperature. That's nothing that, that is that crazy, right? Yeah, it's like the technology of like almost like a check engine lighter that, that inflate your tires like that you have in your car. Right. So they, that's boring. Um, the, the second sort of way that we talk about the analytics of things are the way that these devices are providing feedback to people, their owners, I guess is a good way to say it, their users, um, on their usage, right? And so the best example is like the Nest thermostat, right? Um, or like the Fitbit, right? And it is a device that is based on its stimulus, based on its use, based on its sensor data, right? Is giving you feedback on your own behavior or perhaps even to put it better, its own contexts, right? Its own context as it is affected by you. That's interesting, right? But I think that that's also sort of missing a huge part of the conversation around what the analytics of things really means for the business of the Internet of Things, right? And I think that it's, and you know, I think this phrase has been coined and then sort of some, you know, some, mem some people within the blogosphere, the popular, what I call the popular business press blogosphere, kind of glommed onto it and it, it's just, it's a little bit painful to read a lot of the articles around the internet, the analytics of things. And, and the phrase itself to me now, it's sort of like, I, I cringe a little bit when I hear it because it's, it's really far off of what, it, they're, they're completely burying the lead on how awesome the internet of things will relate to a customer analytics practice, particularly when it comes to companies that are within the internet of things space. Um, yeah, what they're really, they're speaking to the personalization of things, almost like technologies that just allow you to have your world spit back at you, as opposed to what you're talking about is prediction. It's like the next step of letting data work to figure out your needs before you can figure them out yourself. Yeah, yeah, and not only that, but figuring out how to leverage the data to have a better customer experience 
with your devices and also how to sell more devices. Most importantly, how are you going to, how are you going to move those devices? How are you going to get people active on the devices? Because we're in this period right now where these devices are pretty cool, but, and I think you're seeing it like in the thermostat market, right? <laughs> where the Nest came out, everyone loved it. It's like a $250 thermostat, right? And now you can go buy, you know, and I won't, I, I won't drop any brand names, but you could go buy a similarly functioning thermostat for like a hundred bucks, right? And, you know, maybe you're getting 80% of the feature set of the Nest, but is it the 20% that you're missing? Are you really missing it, right? And so where I think, where I think the, the common definition of the analytics of things it was pointed was towards a product scope, right? So you're really using sensor data to inform product scope. And you know what, what I posit in my article is that I think that you should be using sensor data and product activation data and tying it in with your customer data and using that data to inform your sales and marketing activities, right? To inform your customer experience models, to inform all of your, you know, your customer segmentation. And that's really what was missing in the conversation. I also think to flip that, to flip that a little bit, what you're also missing with these companies, because these are companies, right? And they're all fairly established companies that have a really good handle on how they're distributing their product. Because one thing that you have with the analytics of, or the internet of things is that most of these products are tied to a single serialized product ID number, right? So you have a serial number on your product or a MAC address, right? That product is dialing home to a cloud-based server. So, you, so you're tracking server products by activation. And then in a lot of cases, if you're selling direct to the customer, you can actually tie that product activation back to an individual customer, right? And so I also think that the flip side of the tying that all together and using it to inform your marketing activities works. I think that tying that customer data to your, to your product and your sensor data is, is a much more powerful way to also improve your product, right? So actually improve your product programming to improve the iterations of your product going down the road, right? You know, you think about a company that is selling these devices, you know, they have distribution data, they have retailer data, they're selling direct to consumer, they have direct consumer file data, they have product registration data, they have product support data, right? They have whatever data they're collecting to, it, whenever you register the product and activate it, right? You also have all of your digital analytics data. You have all the data that you're getting from individuals that are logged into your app on your phone and how they're using it. And so I'm looking at all this, I'm thinking about all this, and I'm like, dear Lord, like. You know, an Internet of Things company that is selling, call it thermostats, has a gigantic advantage from a marketing data standpoint on a, a, a company that is selling traditional 
thermostats, right? Selling traditional thermostats, even direct to consumer or through a big box, you know, home improvement retailer, it, it's like night and day. So I think the winners in the space are going to be those companies that are able to take that data, aggregate it, combine it with, you know, voice of customer data and really get to an understanding of how their devices are being used. You know, what are the use cases? What are the emerging behaviors of people using those devices? You know, are people using their nests the way that Nest thinks they're using them? Well, Nest is going to know because Nest has all of this data at their fingertips, right? And, you know, I think that emerging behaviors are hugely important for marketing, right? For how you're positioning the product. And then, you know, again, to flip that coin to the product side, also hugely important for your product roadmaps. So, you know, these, these, the companies that are gonna win with this are gonna be the ones that are gonna be able to integrate that data and leverage it fully for insights. And I think the, the key piece there is the sensor and the, you know, the being able to key on an individual user is huge, right? And be able to track that in some manner back to a sales data, either a direct sale transaction or being able to track by device to retailer, right? So we sold a thousand devices through Lowe's. We sold a thousand devices through Walmart. How are our usages different, right? Are people from Walmart more likely to not even ever activate their device. If you're a smart IoT company, you've got that tracked, right? You're sending devices with serial numbers zero to a thousand to Walmart and 1001 to 2000 to Lowe's, and you're looking at those differences, right? In your data warehouse, you've got your device level data tracked in that manner. I mean, when you pair that up with a, you know, a DMP or any other kind of digital-based marketing analytics that you're doing, you can almost follow the complete path of purchase and see how your marketing affects how the yeah. end user is actually using the product. Yeah, and, and honestly, if you're, if you're smart about how you're doing your voice of customer research, you don't, even have to, you don't even have to have all of your users tracked in that manner. So, you know, if you're doing your VOC smart, you know, what you're doing is you're making assumptions about where they are in their customer journey and how they're using your product, you know, those, those segmentations, you know, if you're doing like a two-tiered segmentation, you're making those inferences based on how they're using their products, right? So you get, you get an idea of like how and why and the context of what people are doing with your products through VOC data, through survey data, right? And then what you can do is say, okay, out of all the people that we clustered into this, this stage in their customer journey or, or this particular use case, they are all sort of doing these same behaviors. Well, then what you can do is you can infer that most of the other people doing the same behaviors are also within that segment, right? And so you don't even really need to have everything be one-to-one-to-one. Now with IoT, in a lot of cases, you have the opportunity to, right? And you really should. And if you think about, you know, sort of, transitioning this to the second part of the conversation, some of the same tech and, you know, there's, there's also been sort of a similar evolution in data technology and marketing technology, similar to that which has enabled this IoT explosion. The tech for marketing has evolved, right? And really 
where I see the excitement and the enablement of these IoT firms to really fully leverage this data is in, you know, I think the biggest one is cloud-based data infrastructure. So, you know, people call it software as, as a service or actually platform as a service, right? PaaS. Um, you know, Amazon Redshift is the one that immediately comes to mind for me, but also, you know, you've got a competing Google product, you have a competing Microsoft product, you also have some other players in the industry. It, there's also been a group of emerging enablement technologies that is really allowing these companies to very easily get their data into either cloud-based or, or you know, localized data warehouse, data infrastructure, get it organized into reasonable data groups, right? So you group data based on product, you group data based on customer, you group data based on, you know, individual device, right? Or device type, whatever. And there's also been a fairly recently a really big change in tools that enable companies to leverage that data. So business intelligence tools, data discovery, statistic tools, and that, you know, we've sort of, we're sort of reaching a pretty fun moment in business intelligence where the next gen business intelligence tools are all sort of emerging, right? So you've got Domo, which also does your data infrastructure, Looker, Periscope, and I call all these out. I mean, this is by no means an exhaustive list. Uh, but this is just sort of what comes top of mind to me. Uh, mode is a big one. And then, you know, obviously for more hardcore data manipulation or, or discovery, Tableau for discovery for sure, R, Excel, Power BI, all of these tools, you know, working together have created almost a new data environment. And it's not like these tools weren't around a few years ago or five years ago or you know, it's not like you couldn't replicate this with some previous gen BI tools 10 years ago, but just the cost is so much less. And the, the ability for a small company to, you know, if you're a small IoT company, you can really, really leverage some very powerful data aggregation, data discovery, business intelligence, cloud-based data infrastructure tools for a very low cost, right? And so what you're doing is you're empowering your product teams with this data, and you're certainly empowering your marketing teams with these data, with this data. So, you know, that's that's basically the article. That, that was my, yeah. <laughs> that's my breakdown of the article. I feel like I just spoke more about the article than I certainly wrote, but <laughs> at the same time, I you know, I, I think it's sort of an interesting topic. Yeah, and to really kind of summarize it up, it's really just about separating mechanical features yeah. and sets from customer insights and thinking how those all can be applied to product scope. And when you mean product scope, it's the features and benefits and the outcomes of the actual product itself. Right. Right. And, and you know, the, in, you know, I talk about product and I talk about marketing, you know, positioning and, um, you know, the seven P's of marketing, right? It, and I talk about those things as if they're separate. In a lot of cases they are, in a lot of companies they are, right? So if you think about an IoT company, um, you know, your product is really engineering driven, right? So so your your product is really the device. But it's also the app, 
right? It's also the way that the app integrates. It's also the analytics of things when it comes to how people are using the device, right? So it, it sort of goes to hardware, it goes to internal software, and it goes to user interfaces, right? So it's, it's sort of a pretty interesting product set because each one of those things is independently important when it comes to the product success, and it, they also sort of grow on each other, right? So it's like, the, when you think about the Nest, what do you think about? Do you think about the cool thermostat on your wall? Do you think about the cool app, right? I don't know, right? I mean, yeah, I, it's I got very user to user based on what appealed to them and why they purchased it in the first place, or how right, yeah, right. And then you know, you think about the marketing of the product, and that sort of is a whole—it's a whole different conversation. But to understand, you know, it, this data enablement happens on both sides of that, and. You know, I, I think it's I think it's a very interesting data paradigm. Now, if you just take the device and sensor data out of the picture, it's not really that different than a lot of other consumer goods, right? It, particularly anything where you still have where you're getting that good to retailer, and you've got a really good grasp on the retail environment for your goods, right? But what I'm talking about applies to non-IoT companies, right? I mean, most companies are not IoT companies still and will be for the foreseeable future. But these enabling technologies are massively enabling companies. I mean, you know, I think that the adoption of sort of these data platform as a service technologies, you know, some of this is speculation, but I know that a lot of software as a service sort of startups and technology startups are very heavy users of these these types of services, which makes sense. I mean, a lot of them are using the same services and the same concepts as part of their product, not just to enable them to sell more product, right? But, you know, I think that what we're going to see is major sort of corporate, you know, classic corporate, and perhaps we're entering the uh, beginning of the late majority stage of companies that are really dumping most of their data into the cloud. I mean, we're probably not entering the late majority. We're probably entering the early majority stage at this point. But, you know, sort of where my head's at is like, it's late majority. It's like this has been happening for a while. But, you know, these companies are performing their ETL processes and using the cloud for their data warehousing and really allowing large groups of individuals within their companies to share the data, right? And also having more control over the data. So having a high degree of data governance where the data is being pre-processed in a way that makes the most sense for the business, in a way that metrics and dimensions are being well-defined and well-policed, right? And it's, you know, it's, it's sort of a very interesting and fun time because these new technologies are, are sort of constantly coming out and they're all very inexpensive for the value that they can drive to business. And, it, and there's also a little bit of a race to the bottom. I mean, to be honest, like some of them are perhaps too inexpensive, right? But that's part of the fun of it too. Great. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Got anything to add? Uh, the only thing that immediately comes to mind to me when, I mean, this is kind of out of left field, but just as we yeah. talk about this, 
as our world becomes increasingly connected, it was that first kind of, or at least now even, I would say, it's still very much described as a fragmented consumer journey that we're not sure exactly how consumers are interacting with all these different digital touch points that are now happening. It almost seems like we're now kind of, on, we're getting at least towards the other side of the coin where it's, we're going to have way, way more insight as the world increasingly becomes connected into exactly what the consumer journey looks like once again. We'll almost have a, it will never look exactly like the old sales marketing funnel, but yeah. we're moving back in that kind of direction where we can really start to map things out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a loaded question because... I mean, I, I think people have been saying that for 15 years. I mean, my entire career that, you know, things are going to get much cleaner. And I, when it comes to how we're looking at data, and I think that, you know, it really depends. And I think that where we are getting to a place of more clarity is, you know, I, I think where we've been is we've been focused more on, you know, we used to, in, at least in digital marketing, we used to be focused really on like interfaces, right? And I think that interfaces are way less important than they used to be. And, you know, you speak about the customer journey, and I think that understanding sort of, the, you know, the journey and the intent in these questions and really, you know, using, thinking about the fundamental customer questions before we think about the tools is where we're going right now. And I think that that is going to bring clarity. Now, when it comes to having a clean data set, um, you know, that's never going to happen, right? And when it comes to having a very cleanly defined sales funnel, I mean, in, in some cases, that's the case, right? I mean, B2B is sometimes the case. Yeah. Um, you still have really interesting problems with, you know, sort of understanding, okay, so I have a lead, and that could be B2C or B2B, right? I've got somebody that's interested in purchasing my product. I think qualifying that intent is difficult, right? I mean, I think we're to the point where it's like, okay, I know that this person is expressing some type of purchase intent or product interest, but let's get beyond that and let's say, all right, so how can we scale that? Like how, and when I say scale that, I don't mean, you know, grow it. I mean, how do we actually measure the level of that intent and classify it, right? And that's, that's difficult to do. And I think, you know, one of the things that is, I think one of the technologies, and it's, you know, I use that term loosely, that is going to come into the forefront once again is voice of customer, right? And so doing more user surveys, I mean, you know, we do tons of survey work here, but doing more user surveying and getting to sort of those fundamental questions, you know, before we get to, okay, what are all these cool tools that we're gonna leverage? It's really, okay, we have these tools, we have these data sets. What is fundamentally what we're trying to get to? Or how can we fundamentally segment our customers and understand that our KPIs should be different for each customer segment, right? And that's, that's sort of a, a shift for smaller businesses up like sort of the the sophistication model, right? The maturity model for how they're looking at customer analytics. But that's, I see a technology enablement of smaller and smaller companies just because of the cost scale to, to become really, really much more mature when it comes to 
their customer customer analytics. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you, are we going to get to the point where the small mom and pop shop suddenly is got sophisticated analytics tracking the local SEO? I mean, there's endless I, potential there as opposed to yeah, I mean, comparing it, it to a big marketer. You know, and it's it's weird because I think about this a lot, and I think about. You know, I think about if I started a company, right? If I started like a sandwich shop in Farmington, Connecticut, yeah. like how much ass I would kick at marketing, right? <laughs> because I would just, I would go full bore analytics on it. I would go full bore, you know, one-to-one technology enabled marketing with everybody in town, right? And it wouldn't be that hard to pull off and it wouldn't be that expensive to pull off right and that's sort of where where I see a, a pretty big shift happening um, so my answer is yes you know and I, I think about you know when you talk about local what does that mean and you know I, I, I see a lot of disruption happening in sort of technology providers that can address the local small business marketplace with some better structured, less expensive customer analytics, right? And so small businesses can run CRM, right? And, and CRM is, is also becoming increasingly less expensive, but you know, if you're a, a small business that's doing you know, some detailing on the side or, or however it works, it, you know, th- there's just so much more technology that's available to you just because the price is, you know, the cost is there. And the cost makes sense, you know, different, obviously different technology makes sense at different costs, but the technology's become a lot easier in a lot of ways, and it's become a lot less expensive in a lot of ways. Kind of come full circle here. It really comes back to the interesting convergence of technology. Yeah, it really has. It really has. And, and, you know, I sort of try to draw that out in the piece that, you know, this Internet of Things, you you could probably call it a technology revolution, right, in some ways. I mean, certainly an exploding industry. And and I would say that this, you know, integrating device and sensor data into an overall data view, right, into sort of how you're looking at your customer analytics, it's really just another channel. It's really an evolution. And there's also a similar evolution happening in those enablement technologies. Um, and it's an exciting one, and I think that you know this this space is opened up to enterprises of much, you know, a much wider variety of enterprises because of this enablement technology and because of the cost. But I, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to call that a revolution. I think that that was predictable, you know, ten years ago when you know we were running, uh, you know million dollars of server hardware to run our our bi tools right and doing you know doing million dollar data integrations with six month uh you know 10 person consultant teams just to get all of our internal data etl'd into a local file store that you know ten thousand people across an organization were using bi tools on right or, or running sql queries against so it's it's exciting, and it, you know I think the scale the scalability is exciting. I think the cost is exciting, but I don't necessarily see it as a revolution right now. I think we've just evolved to being able to to actually afford to get our data into the cloud and afford to hook tools into that data 
that are accessible across enterprises of a lot more various sizes. So chances are 15 years from now, some content strategist in an advertising agency or in some kind of marketing function is going to say something very similar to what I just said and pronounce that now we're finally almost at the point where you we know, understand it, digital let me, customer. Let me, uh, let me make a forward-looking statement here because I think this just came to me and I think it's important. So if you think about, if you go work for a large company, let's say you work for GE, right? There's a certain expectation that if you're at a certain level, right, if you're at a manager level or above, that you, you really understand what's going on externally and internally at GE, right, on a daily basis. You don't want to be caught, you know, with your pants down if somebody, you know, the day after earnings come out and the company's missed earnings. Like, you should know that, right? You should know that. You should know what... You should know the fundamentals of your business. You should know all the business units. You should know generally, I mean, GE is a big company, so it might not be the best example, but you should know generally what the revenue is of those business units, how they're doing based on you know, their recent history. You should probably know who the top executives are at each business unit, right? I mean, these are all things that you should know, right? Yep. I think that in the next, call it five to 10 years, that what I'll call burden of context for people that work in these organizations with technology like this enabled, the scope of that is going to massively increase. And that if you are working at an organization, you should have a much better context of the, call it recent operational metrics for the entire organization. So you should know that last quarter and quarter is too is too broad of a it's not a fine enough code you should know you know how the sales process works but you should also know how the sales mechanics are working right you should know your customer satisfaction scores over time you should know about your products and how your products are selling relative to each other currently right not historically but currently and i think that these technologies are going to create environments within large corporations where this type of information is going to be more readily available to more people. And it's also going to raise the bar of expectations on how much each individual team member within those organizations knows about the context of the operation of their business in real time. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm almost picturing it's almost like a, you know, the floor of an investment bank and you're watching the stock prices on the wall. Are we going to yeah. reach a point where people are just like literally in real time seeing the success of the business units and it becomes this gamified kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, maybe, but maybe more like, you know, in much the same way that, again, and I think G is a great example. So, you know, these companies are... You work for XYZ Corporation, right? And, you know, again, the expectation is is that employees should know what's going on with earnings, right? Like, you should know that. Like, if you have a public earnings statement at a certain level within the company, you should, you should understand the context of the overall organization. You should understand what the context are of the executives that you deal with, what their context is, right? 
And I think that these technologies are going to broaden the ability for individual contributors within that business to have a broader context. I say broader like 1990. <laughs> it's going to increase the ability for people within the business to understand those key business metrics in a much deeper way. So we're moving towards the dashboard world pretty much. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, a dashboard's just a type of report. I mean, I, I think that it's a, and I think that that's actually probably a good way to describe it, to be honest with you. It's a, you know, we're talking about business intelligence tools, self-service, but the ability to, to can and collaborate on reports. And if you think about, you know, when I think about BI tools based on the context of how I've generally worked with them, it's either been producing reports that go way up the chain, right? Or producing tactical reports that are being used almost in, you know, in near real time by a team that is focused on a tactical execution, right? And I think it's a little bit of a paradigm shift, but really what you could do is you could bake company-wide or division-wide or you know, group-wide reports into a way that when you're talking about how the business is doing, you don't have to waste time talking about it anymore. It's like, you know, imagine, you know, and, and some of these tools, a lot of these tools like uh, Mode or Periscope, they sort of bake this in, but imagine Slack where, you know, what you're doing is on Slack is the Slack bot is giving real-time business context data so that people aren't wasting time communicating that business context when it comes to meetings or other other comps. Like, there's no reason to waste time with that anymore. Now, there might be a reason to contextualize that, right? But there's no reason to create extra time because everyone is armed with what we'll call near real-time business context information in a much much more uh, holistic way, right? Yeah, it really just flattens an entire organization when you're not either using data in a super prescriptive way or in a super you know, yeah, open to interpretation it, for the executive team. And, and I would almost say it doesn't even need to flatten the organization. What it does is, you know, if the organization's a pyramid, it's just building like a floor underneath it and like literally raising it 100 feet in the yeah. air, right? <laughs> And, and it, you know, I, I think that that is, that is sort of what, you know, this technology, and I think that it's always sort of been the, it, it's been my experience at least, that it's been sort of the failure of traditional BI in that, you know, you sort of have this, you know, the paradigm I discussed before, and you don't really have like a broader contextualized view like a shared understanding, right? You have a top-down and a bottom-up understanding, but really, I think that the greater, the more accessible these technologies become, the more that, again, individual contrib contributors are gonna be expected to have a broader context of business understanding and, and understanding of the metrics that are driving their business maybe not within their department, but overall, um, 
over time. So that's that's sort of where I see us going like 10 years down the road. Great. Yeah. All right, well, I'd say we covered the article. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I just <laughs> talked about uh, that BI stuff for like 30 minutes. Uh, it was great, though. So that <laughs> was... it down a little bit. <laughs> So that was the fifth episode of Measure Direction. Once again, yeah, I am Jason Rose. My Twitter handle is J J A Y T R O S E. And uh, Tom? Yeah, my Twitter handle's at T M L L R. And uh, the article that we've been discussing for the last long time is uh, you can find it at T M L L R dot US. That's T-M-L-L-R dot U-S slash I-O-T. Um, that's my URL shortener. And if you have anything that you'd like to submit for us to answer the next time around, once again, the link for that is bit.ly slash measured direction. Yeah, keep the questions coming. We really appreciate it.